Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What's happening, everybody? Ken M here, and joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to talk about in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more. You are tuned into the entertainment edition of the ODPH, and we definitely want to interact with you after the show, so make a point to swing on over to odphpodcast.com. Joining the conversation on the social media accounts, they're all right there on the front page. Check out the T Public store. A lot of good things happening over there. The Patreon link, shout out to all our amazing patrons. One tier, $2 a month, and a lot of bonus content on the way. Parlay Points blog section, always something new popping up over there. The directory, which, Pad, how many providers are we on? Uh, 530,000. Sounds about right to me. So if we're not on your favorite podcast player, I don't know where you're listening to us from, but thank you so much for doing it. Drop a five-star review for us. It definitely helps the algorithm find us and get us to more people. So, you know, like it's, it's, a, it's a win-win all around with that. The classified section, which has friends of the show, such as 3FN Podcasts, Dragon Master Games, and so many more. The music section, where you can hear such great bands as Floodlands, Second Suitor, Shout of the Robots, Brian Wolf, Tom Jolu, and many more. Basically, if it's anything and everything that is the ODPH, you can find it at odphpodcast.com. And always remember on social media to use the hashtag ODPHpod. Kicking off this edition of the show, we have to recap a very interesting episode of arguably the CW's best show out right now. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's much up to debate with that. And their best one of the last real remnants of the Arrowverse, per se. Yes. And that is Superman and Lois. Season three has definitely been hitting all strides. It's been very steady on the pace that it's been set for the past two seasons. Tyler Hoechlin and Elizabeth Tolak have been playing the title characters of Clark Kent and Lois Lane. Alex Gerfin and Michael Bishop are playing their sons, Jordan and Jonathan Kent, respectively. And the family from Metropolis has now moved back to Smallville, where the trouble doesn't seem to shy away from finding them there and bringing up a whole lot of drama to Superman's early home on Earth. What can mm. we say? It's real crazy. It's been real crazy. This season definitely has been going into a lot of different directions and focusing on different characters throughout because the one situation that they're having is they do have a very big cast. So what we're going to be doing is talking about the latest episode entitled Forever and Always, episode seven of season three. So if you're new to the ODPH, first and foremost, thank you for checking us out. What we like to do is a spoiler-free statement about the episode. So if you haven't seen it yet and you want to check it out, perfect. We're going to let you know our thoughts, and then you can go pause the episode right here. Pad puts the liner notes of where to jump out if you need to. And then when you see the episode, pop right back in where you left off. Because after we give you a countdown, because we like to make sure we do everything in our power to make sure we don't ruin anything for you. After that countdown happens, we go into full deep dive of spoilers. So you have been forewarned here and right now. So, Pad, that being said, give me your spoiler-free statement on Forever and Always from Superman and Lois. There wasn't a lot going on for this action-wise, but... That was made up with the story that went on in this and the character development and everything else. Like it was kind of like you might look at it on the surface and go, oh, that was a filler episode. No, this was one of the heavier episodes they've done. 
And it left me at the end of it just kind of sitting there, you know, letting the breath out of my lungs going, fuck, like this was crazy and this was heavy. Fantastic episode, though. Yes. This one was one of the more dramatic episodes of the series thus far. And I think between all three seasons, they do an episode like this pretty much at least once per season where you get this really emotional deep dive into characters. And this one really gave some gravity to a few characters that needed that extra layer added to them yeah, to really stand out and really push this story to the forefront. So I love what they did here. I do agree with it. It's, on the surface, it did appear as filler. But by the time we got to the end, oh, man, did we ever get some explaining going on. And a theory that I've had for one character was proven right. Uh-huh. So we'll definitely have to talk about that. But it's been a it's definitely a solid episode and definitely continues the winning streak this show has done since the return for season three. That said, in three, two, one, it's spoiler time. Pad, talk to me. This episode was fantastic. I mean, like I said, there wasn't a whole lot action wise going on. I think the only action sequence that that went on was Jordan flying away from the Fortress of Solitude and then Clark taking off from the. Uh, hospital Mm -hmm. beforehand there there was no fighting there was no like superpowers used other than flight for like two blinks of an eye yeah you know but and and on the on the surface like i said you would look at this and go oh this is a filler episode there isn't that bombastic fight sequence that you expect with every episode you know there wasn't anything crazy like oh my gosh how's he going to defeat this person it didn't need it though because when you look at the story and what happened and just what they were dealing with and kind of a lot of secrets and, and unresolved issues coming to the surface that, that we should have seen coming and have been bubbling underneath the surface for quite some time. You know, you didn't need those action sequences. You didn't need those the fight scenes or those that conflict and then the resolution because there were plenty of conflict going on without a punch being thrown. Mm-hmm. This episode really gave a great insight to the character of Bruno Mannheim. Chad L. Coleman has been crushing this role this entire season. Yep. And to see his story played out with Daya Vidaya, who is uh, playing Pia, his wife, this really added a certain element to their story Mm -hmm. that by the end of it, you were really second-guessing about what his true motives were. Right. Like, that was the wildest thing about this because we know as a comic reader, Inner Gang... Longtime enemy of Bru- or um, of Clark Kent, you know Bruno Mannheim is a dangerous character. They're not Boy Scouts. No, by no means. And obviously, Lois Lane has been trying to investigate him for years, as she said. Like that's the, the holy grail. That that's her, you know, top prize. She, I, I think she even said at one point that like that'd be better than winning any Pulitzer. Yeah, that she has been trying to expose him for being this mastermind criminal for years and can never do it. Yeah. And now with this episode, you got a great insight to what he's doing, how his relationship with Pia came to be, and where their story is going now. Right. That by the time you got done, you really had to kind of second guess a few things. Mm -hmm. And they've camouflaged a lot about his character thus far because all we know from the comics is like, okay, he's a bad guy. He just wants to do this for power and, and money. Right. And yet... There's such a dichotomy added to this. They're trying to make him a sympathetic character and trying to make you feel bad for him. Yeah. Like, it's crazy to think about what they're pulling off here. And like I say, it's just such an added element to their story 
that by the time we got to the end, I was like, oh, man. Yeah. Like they, we, we we got towards the end, you know, before the final scenes, and I'm like, they're trying to make this motherfucker, meaning Bruno Mannheim, a sympathetic character. They're trying to make me feel bad for this guy. Yeah. And, but I'm like, this for me, this ain't gonna work because I know, I know, being you know the third person, you know, the eye of God, whatever you want to call it, mm. I you know, we as the viewers see all. You know, the, in Lois's eyes, she even says in the episode, oh, I'm starting to feel bad. You know, I'm feeling yeah. bad. I'm feeling bad for him. You know, I don't see the maniacal, you know, mobster anymore. I, I see the doting husband who's standing behind his wife. And I'm like, that works for you. I know what this dude is doing behind the scenes. Yeah. Like I said, the, the, the dichotomy between hero and villain, so to speak, or sympathetic character, I should say sympathetic character to villain mastermind was just brought right to the forefront with this episode. And I thought they really made a point to really paint that picture that you, the viewer at home, had to really decide about, okay, what's really going on here? Because where it jumps in, obviously, there's a lot of storylines going on with each character. Lois is really starting to feel the effects of the chemo. Yes, because she's been battling stage three cancer this entire season and is really starting to take her t- a toll on her. And I, and like we've said this very much throughout this entire storyline, how the writers have handled this has been very tasteful. It's been very superb. They have really illustrated what Lois is going through, Mm -hmm. you know, and really made it connect to the audience. So you can definitely understand the battle she's going through. Yeah. Like I said, you can definitely feel that watching at home. So, and this is where the other family members are trying to cope and understand what's going on too, because right. they they're really you know are being supportive, and they're really showing about how it's affecting each one of them, mm-hmm. and especially her sons, who decide to go to the fortress of solitude to open up the episode mm-hmm. to talk to Lo- or, uh, Lara Lara. Who is Superman's mother? So uh, yeah, it's the hologram of Superman's mother in the Fortress of Solitude. Right, and they're literally going there and saying, "What can you do to save our mom?" Because they know some, they know something's going on because Clark and Lois go to leave the farm to go to Metropolis for another round of chemo treatment, mm. and Jordan and Jonathan are basically talking. They're like, "Listen, something's up." They're not telling us something. They're hellbent. They're convinced of it. Like they're like they're pulling, you know, they're pulling the wool over our eyes. Like what's going on? So yeah, they go to the Fortress of Solitude. They beg, you know, they beg Laura. Like, listen, we know there's a lot of stuff you can do that m- modern medicine on this planet can't. What what can we do to help, you know, our mom? And and Laura looks at him and goes, "There's nothing." Yeah, she goes, "I can't do anything." She's like, "Whatever we do would kill her instantly." Well, you you don't know that. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, and like I said, I thought the the boys acting in the scene really shine through. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, I know Michael Bishop has just taken over the role from uh, Jonathan Kent this season. He's been fantastic. Oh, he's this. been great. Yeah, I mean, how they write his character, I still say it's the best written character on this show. Right, and you can definitely tell there's a difference between the twins because you've got Jordan who's been training with his dad and has experienced some of the Kryptonian stuff. And I don't think he fully understands, you know, why he why you know, Lara can't and why the Fortress can't do anything, but he like he has an idea mm. because he's not really protesting as much as Jonathan is. Whereas Jonathan who doesn't have powers, you know, is is strictly, you know, human, he's an earthling. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't understand. He's got no experience with this stuff, and he, he just can't understand for the life of him. You know, you're you can do all this stuff, you can project all these images, and you've got all this crazy technology that's light years ahead of us. What do you mean, no? Yeah, and you can definitely understand their frustration in this. That 
they're sitting there feeling helpless mm-hmm. that they can't do anything. Clark does appear at the fortress and is going like, what are you guys doing here? Right. And they basically say, you, you guys have been holding stuff back. We want to do something. We, we can't sit here and just not do anything. And Clark is saying, listen, we're doing all we can. You, this is not going to work out. We have to, you know, just support, you know, Lois in their battle. Yeah. So they wind up flying back, you know, home via Clark saying, you guys are out of here. You get no choice of the matter. Right. Leave. So when they go home, they find Lois's will. Right. That well, Jonathan is still hellbent and convinced. Like Jordan's ready to accept it at face value. Like, listen, it is what it is. Mm. We just have to accept it and move on. And J- Jordan or Jonathan's like, nah, fuck that. Like they're yeah. hi- they're hiding something. We got to find what it is. So they go into Lois's office or desk or whatever it is and start rummaging through her files. And that's when they open up a a, a folder bo- folder book thing, whatever it is. And they see the last will and testament, and then they start seeing some letters. Yeah. So, which, which again, we know what it's about because a couple episodes ago we heard Clark and Lois talking about this. They're mm-hmm. like, "Hey, this is a just in case things go south." Yeah. They don't know this, right? And that's an emotional scene. It was a very powerful one too, because I mean, if you're you're seeing your parent write out their last will and testament, yeah, and finding that, and just the emotional shock that is, yeah. Like I said, I thought the scene, they played it out perfectly. Yeah. And obviously that carries through a little later in the show. Because then we now shift to Hobbs Bay. Now this is the facility that Lois is getting her treatment for her mm-hmm. cancer at. Mm-hmm. And she is now made friends with Pia, who she does not know is Bruno's wife. But again, we, the viewer, learned at the end of the last episode. Right. So Lois is still trying to dig a little deeper into Bruno Mannheim because right she knows that Pia's been there for quite a while even I think it's even brought up that like she's been there since Bruno Mannheim took over the the facility Mm -hmm. and she's like oh you've been here for so long you must have run into him at some point and she's like yeah you know what he passed by one time but it really wasn't that big a deal oh come on all the times you've been here you've never had a conversation with him and she's like she really doesn't want to talk about it yeah because she's taking every easy out to like not necessarily divert the conversation but she's like wanting to cut it off at, at the legs so to speak mm-hmm. you know because you know oh you must have run into it at some point no you know what he might have passed by but we really didn't have a conversation oh sure sure surely you, you've said something to him because you know he's an important figure in this hospital listen it's a big hospital he, he can't be everywhere at once mm-hmm. yeah so lois is still trying to interrogate pia Pia is very non-receptive to this, and I think that's probably the nicest way to put it. Yeah, she gets real pissed real quick. Yep, gets up and says, "I I want to go rest. I'm I'm in my final treatment. Yeah. I, you know, I want to be left alone." And she takes everything with her and goes as far away from Lois as she possibly can. Yeah. Meanwhile, Clark decides to do something I did not see coming. I'll, I'll, no. I'll be very honest about this. No. And Pad, what does he do? He goes to interview Bruno Mannheim. Yeah. Now, he goes not as Superman, mind you. He goes as Clark. He goes as Clark, reporter for the Daily Planet. Uh, Well, former. Well, yeah. Yeah, but still as famous uh, as his wife. Exactly. Opens some doors. Yeah. So Bruno accepts this invitation. He's even surprised by it. He goes, uh, goes, I think he even said, this is something I did not expect. Right. And he's like, no, he was like, I I see the work that you're doing. And obviously, he makes a personal connection there as well. I I want you to tell your story. Yeah. So we literally get the story of Bruno Mannheim and his rise to power yep. 
And obviously they do this in very unique sequences. So like you don't get the whole story all at once. Right. Like they'll do a couple minutes, then they go to somebody else in the cast. Right. Then they come back. Right. And then like and how they space it out. Because what they really show is Mannheim is trying to work his way up in the ranks of inner gang. Right. And he's trying to go argue with the boss at the time. Right. At the at the uh I want to say diner, but I know the restaurant. Yes, at the restaurant there that we've seen uh, the connection with Pia and and Bruno made at. Right. Because there's pictures all over the place that Bruno was there. And more or less, it's in the suicide slums. Yep. Which is a very well-known place in Metropolis. Yep. So you're seeing that Bruno is trying to plead his case, and he's really trying to sell, like, this is what we can do with Inner Gang. And I love how they just kind of kept it at bay. Right. Like, because he was sitting there. Obviously, we know it was organized crime. Right. But it was his... Motives seem very genuine at the time, right? And, and the first uh, back, back flashback, almost mm-hmm. said backflash, flashback sequence we see is is him kind of talking with the other members there, and they're like, "Well, what do you got planned?" And he's like, "I want to cut it." You know, he wants to get Lex Luthor involved. Yes, you know, because presumably at this point Lex isn't in jail yet. Mm-hmm. You know, but they're like, "Why the hell would you want to get Lex Luthor involved?" You know, why do you want to why do you want to face off with him? And he's like, "I don't want to face off with him." I want to cut a deal with him. And it's like, oh, shit. Yeah, he's he's playing chess while everybody else is playing checkers. Like, that's the easiest way to describe it. And this is something that Bruno has done in the comics to an extent. Like I say, Inner Gang is not one of the household rogues of Superman, mm-hmm. unless you read the comics. Like, if you if you talk to the casual fans, it's always Brainiac, Doomsday, yeah. Luthor. Yeah. And then it usually stops there. Maybe some Mitzelplek. Yeah. Maybe some Toy Man. Sure. Pending. Sure, depending on who you talk to. Right, but for what Bruno Mannheim does, and I love how he's he set it up because he's like, yeah, he goes, I want to work a deal. I want to I want to grow this. I want to fix the suicide slums, and I can do this with Luther's help. Meanwhile, Boss Moxie there is not hearing this at all. Nope. And one thing too is the father son relationship that is in the comics that is not the the character here. No. So they definitely have made this character as his own right now. So they're, they're just using the name because. Of- Probably convenience. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, because obviously Boss has been the head of Inner Gang before Bruno took it over. Right. So obviously when Bruno is not there in the comics for reasons, reasons, Bruno takes it over. But like I said, they're doing a different story here. And I love how just Bruno is just standing up to him, even when Boss tries killing him. Yeah. Because he's going up against the boss and he's sitting there. And at this point, Pia is in Inner Gang. Mm-hmm. And we don't know that she has powers at this stage. Right. Because from all we knew, she got powers from the experimentation that was going on with Superman's blood. I'm not going to lie. It took me a while, like probably till one of the later flashback sequences to realize Pia was in the room. Really? Just, yeah. Just because I'm so used to seeing her with, you know, the, the missing hair because of the chemo treatments and then the, the head covered up. Seeing her with a full head of hair and, and all and not looking like she's in the middle of going through cancer treatments. Did not even recognize her until I heard the voice later in the episode. I'm like, oh, shit, that's Pia. Okay. Yeah, I, I thought he said Pia early on the first. But, yeah, as, soon as, you, yeah, as soon as you hear the voice, though, you, like, it's definitely her. And, like, you touched upon, yeah, she does look obviously very different from yeah. where we see her and where we meet her to present to past. But when they have the standoff, they have Bruno surrounded. Mm-hmm. They're trying to make Bruno an offer he can't refuse. Yeah, because Moxie is just not hearing this, and he's just—he's literally saying like, "No, this isn't going to work." He doesn't want to sleep with the fishes. Yeah, 
He's he's basically saying he's like Bruno, you're not going to deal with anybody because we're not going to work with Luther. And I see you're trying to pull a, a you know a double cross. I'm going to take care of business. Watch out for the horse head. Yep. I'm sorry, folks. These jokes write themselves. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But we do see Bruno picks up the temp in the room very quickly with this. Yeah, he does. And he's pleading with Pia, and he's saying, you know, like I've loved you since we were kids, and like you, they quickly establish like. They've known each other since yeah. they were kids. Yeah, because at this point, it's only Boss, Pia, and Bruno alive in the room because everyone everyone else has been killed because Boss wants to teach him a lesson. Yeah. And at this point, it becomes a tug of war. It's a verbal tug of war between the two, and it's Bruno pleading with Pia, I love you, I want to build a city with you, I want to do anything for you, and then Boss on the, on the other side tugging verbally going, no, just do it, kill him. Yeah. So Pia has already killed off the gang because he wanted to send that statement to him. Yep. But then Pia turns her back on Boss. Well, yeah, and and the and the way they set this up was brilliant because it's the verbal t- talk back and forth. Bruno stops arguing, mm-hmm. and and it's just Boss going, "Do it, do it." He says it a couple of times, but on the last time he says, "Do it," not long after, it might be like a couple of seconds. She, you can just see the the cogs turning in her head and go okay i'll do it she inhales and in mid inhale turns looks at boss and lets out a scream yeah so it worked out perfectly and really definitely gave bruno the big win he needed yeah he establishes how much pia loved him like they have mm-hmm. this big embrace and and like standing around the wreckage that's around them <laughs> like it's it's a crazy scene to play out yeah but it works some something about mobsters diners and uh i want to say gunfights but it's not exactly a gunfight yeah so it, it is a little crazy how they set it up but sure enough this is where bruno manheim takes over inner gang mm-hmm and it worked out great because as we go on further with their story, you hear how Bruno is sitting there and and leading Clark on a little bit. Right. About like why he's doing what he's doing and how he's really trying to save his wife. And he reveals the, the, about the marriage. Right. So he's he's not shying away from anything to Clark. Like he's really p- portraying himself as such a sympathetic character. Is Clark using his abilities here? Because I got the vibe he was using his super hearing and listening to his heart rate. He was trying to, yeah. Okay. No, he definitely okay. was trying because he was pausing a lot, too. Yeah, like, he was. Something. Like, I thought they were trying to pass it off as, like, oh, that's just his journalist intuition. But I'm like, no, I think he's using his superpowers here. No, he tried going Daredevil. Okay. No, he definitely did. Like, okay. If you watch the episode, you can notice he's very hesitant. Like, it's it's a split-second thing. But, uh-huh. if you, but if you if you see his mannerisms, yeah, it's a split-second difference. Yeah. And then he's like, oh. So wait a minute. Yeah. Which kudos to Chad Coleman on this. Yeah. Because just how he was acting in this and he really sold this idea of just how much he's doing it for the greater good and how much like his motives are so true. And it's something Mm -hmm. that is connecting to Clark, too, because, you know, he's saying about how whatever he's doing at Hobbs Bay is, you know, to help people like his wife. Right. And obviously that clicks with Clark. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you know, Clark has a has a different outlook on Bruno at the time too. Right. And then even when Lois is thinking back of what's the argument with Pia is, and she really tries explaining herself and really just says, I want to be your friend. Mm-hmm. You've done so much for me during my treatment. I want to be there for you. And, and they wind up, you know, coming together as friends too. Yeah. You see in a very short amount of time in this episode, 
that these characters flip in the eyes of Lois and Clark, who have known them for years, well, Bruno for years. Right. And seeing how absolutely ruthless he can be. But now there's that point that you brought up earlier that Lois is saying, like... I don't see him as the maniacal mob boss anymore. I see him as the doting husband standing beside his wife. Yeah. So that just goes to show about how much they invested in this character and selling that point, too, that you see about Bruno's vision about fixing suicide slums. Mm-hmm. And like I say, that part is the worst area of Metropolis. Right. So he has this vision of what he wants to do, and now... He has somebody by his side that can definitely help him get to that point. And we still haven't even gone fully into his story about how he really rose to power. Mm-hmm. This is the start of it. Yeah. So it definitely played a strong point into this episode, especially at the end, too, where you see that Pia is ringing the bell that she's completed her cancer treatment. Uh-huh. So it's a very emotional scene, too. And this is where, like, Lois and Clark come to say, like, this is, you know, where we really see, like, you know, what he's been doing and. Maybe we've been wrong about him this entire time. All the meanwhile in this episode, Lois is giving away way too much information about her family to Pia. Yeah. Sorry, but why are you showing pictures of your kids to the woman? I Now I understand in story, like if we're borrowing wrestling terms in kayfabe, why she's doing it. Yeah. But as the, as the third person omniscient viewer here, why the fuck are you doing this? You're giving you're giving the weapon enemy uh, ammunition here. Now she knows what your kids look like. Now she knows how to target Superman. Yeah, there's there's a lot that's getting exposed here, but Lois is really feeling remorseful in the sense of that she was was questioning Pia so strong. Yeah, and, it, and it regretful didn't, is the better word. I apologize for that. And it and it didn't stop because she showed pictures of her kids, and then goes, "Oh, do you have any pictures of your family?" Yeah, and then even later, when you know, after they have the blow up about uh, pressing her about Bruno, mm-hmm. you know, she goes to she re- reconnects with her later in the episode and goes, "Oh, hey, listen, this is your last day of treatment. Why don't you come out to the farm? You know, get out of the big city, decompress a little bit. You know, Clark isn't the best uh, cook, but he can he can make a pretty good burger." You can bring your husband with you. And it's like, okay, you're doing the exact same thing you just apologized for. Yeah. But that's what she feels so emotional about, you know, yeah. what she did. Like I say, it was regretful. And I say, I apologize for saying remorseful. It was one of the situations that, yeah, she's just really trying to say, like, listen, I'm not trying to be a reporter. I'm trying to be your friend and just exposing a lot, too, which does come back to play a little later. Yep. Because <laughs> now Pia knows who her family is. Yep. And it does appear that we will see the Mannheims in Smallville, mm-hmm. but not for who you think, though. Nope. Because where the Smallville stories go this episode, we get a heavy dose of the love triangle slash square now? I, I think that's a, I think at this point it's a trapezoid. Yeah. Of what is going on with Kyle, yeah. Chrissy, Lana, and now... John Henry Irons. Which we saw this coming. Yeah, we saw this coming. He just went out of town for a couple episodes. Yeah. Yeah. It's always awesome to see Wally Parks back in the show because his character, John Henry Irons, is one of my favorite characters. Yeah. So I always love seeing him on the show. And I really like how they're adding him into this mix because we do see that he is now the overprotective father of a teenage daughter. Mm -hmm. And Taylor Buck is playing a, a, a great job as Natalie, his daughter who is probably the strongest young superhero on this show that we have not even scratched the surface to see in her capabilities. Yeah, yeah. So we, he now is trying to sit there and 
figure out, okay, she now has a boyfriend named Mateo. Right, the one from the party a couple episodes ago. Yes, who is coming to coming to Smallville. And it's really not setting well with him. No, he's he he's gone from the I'm the cool dad with a suit with a super suit to the over overprotective dad that is willing to throw the kid out. Yes. So Lana has to come in and kind of set him at ease. Yeah. So and Amanda Quirky uh, does such a phenomenal job in her role too as Lana, and you see like they're bonding, and we obviously know that that is going to be uh, something happening. So. For as much as she's bitching and moaning about her ex husband and Chrissy getting together, um, look in the mirror there, uh, Lana. You're yeah, doing, you're doing the same thing. Yeah, you just don't realize it yet. No, she doesn't realize it yet, but it's it's definitely happening, and especially how she's she's seeing this, and it's really been a distraction to her because she's now seeing that Chrissy is growing in her role, so to speak, as the new girlfriend. Right. Even though there's an awkward scene, I guess if I, if I have to critique something on this show. Okay. The scene where Chrissy is picking up takeout at the restaurant. Right. And Sarah is there with Lana. Yeah. And I I don't know what it is this season. Uh-huh. Like, and it's nothing against uh, Indy Navarrete. Who plays Sarah? Okay, but is it just me, or is the writing about her just she has to add in something so rude every time, mm. like over the top? It does feel like a lot of that, but I kind of chalk it up to teenage hormones. I mean, and, and growing up and being really angsty and really angry at everything as a teenager. It just seems like this season, and and, and granted, like when it, it's her and Jordan, will they, won't they? Yeah. I get annoyed easy. Yeah, yeah. But it seems like where they're writing her character, it's every time she's got to say something super smart ass. Like, well, I and mean, it feels forced. You're you're not wrong, but I look at it from this perspective that she's she's been dealing with the issues with Jordan. Mm-hmm. You know, which okay, hey, we've we've said our piece about that, but from a story perspective, she's she's dealing with that. She's dealing with her parents getting divorced and any any I can't speak from experience, but I'm sure any kid who has been a part of a divorce between two parents, it's a very tough go of it. The, sure. The first couple of years after it's all said and done. So we're still in the throes of that. You know, I think it's been I, if I remember correctly, it's like maybe two months after something like it, that. It's, yeah. it's two months since the end of last season. So it ain't real long. She's still going through this. Oh, by the way, when all of that was going on and, and her parents marriage was falling apart, she got embarrassed at her quinceanera. You know, at the party in front of all of her friends and family, mm. you know, and then she's got to deal with all the nonsense at school going on. So she ain't got a whole lot good going for her right now. So I can I can understand her being a little angry and a little angsty. And oh, by the way, I've not mentioned that, like her father, who just got divorced from her mother about a month ago, is now already seeing somebody else and, and they're staying together. Yeah. I like I can understand that point too. I just it feels like it, at times with her character this season, it feels like over the top forced teenage angst. Yeah, I, I can I can and, see and that. I, and I only say that because I read an entire book of teenage angst with Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. No, Harry screams a lot throughout most of that book, so hey, it's teenage angst. Yeah, like I say, I don't know, like how it comes off to me though. Like I'm just like okay, I understand the venting, but it just seems like 
we're flip-flopping a lot of the anger at everybody she's around. Mm-hmm. Like I say, how she's been written this season, I haven't been a super fan of. But I understand your point, though. I, I will agree with you about that. Because there's that awkward moment that happens where she says something super smart-ass to Chrissy. Then Lana has to say, don't ever do that again. Mm-hmm. And then all gets resolved at the movies, which, I mean, I understand it's the movies. Well, and it got even, it, well, it got even more awkward before that because it was supposed to be Kyle... Chrissy and Sarah going to the movies along with Lana was supposed to go. Yeah. Lana had to back out because there's there's ongoing issues because, hey, she's the mayor. Right. You know, the, whoever's in charge of whoever they hired to build them a new uh, town hall is stonewalling them and trying to get her to back out because she's a woman. Mm-hmm. And and this isn't me projecting or me thinking what's going on. No, Lana says this. In yeah, the she episode. says it in the episode. She says it. So Lana's dealing with some sexism. Yeah. You know, so Lana backs out. So it's it's Chrissy and Sarah waiting on Kyle to show up. Chrissy's in her dad's apartment waiting for her dad. Or not Chrissy. Sarah's in the apartment waiting for her dad. The door opens. Chrissy comes in and, and Sarah goes, oh, my God, he's given you a key already. Yeah. And she's like, no, he let me borrow it for the day so that I could come in. And then all of a sudden, Kyle backs out because he's going to be stuck at the station working all day. Mm. So just as seemed, things seem to fall apart. You know, and Chris and Sarah's like, oh, you don't understand. You don't understand. Chrissy doesn't go full blown in, into it, but she at least pulls back the curtain a little bit on her backstory that she must have gone through divorce between her two parents and, and her and her life and goes, listen, I understand how you're feeling, but I'm going to leave you alone and you can do whatever you want. And at that point, Sarah feels kind of guilty and goes, you know what? It's supposed to be a funny movie. Why don't we go anyway? Yeah. No, Sophie Hams- Hamzik has been doing really good at this. Or Hasmic, I'm sorry, apologize for the name's a mess up. Has been doing really great in this role, and like I say, I like the the you know portrayal when she's trying to be the cool parent. Like, yeah. I don't want to say cool parent, but the the cool one yeah. to Sarah because when they're looking for snacks to go to the movie, well. <laughs> Chrissy has something. I mean, Coachella was mentioned. Yeah, well, so they're going to the movies, and Sarah brings up, oh, what do you want to get at the movie theaters? Do you want to get popcorn? Do you want to get some candy? And and Chrissy pulls out her bag and goes, and just oh, and she goes, oh, well, don't worry, I've got it covered. Yeah. And she opens her purse, and Sarah looks inside and goes, oh, my God, this is insane. You're like a can- It's like a candy store in here. Yeah. And she goes, oh, well, why buy full price theater full prices when you can sneak in you know lesser price but the same the same size or, or something to that effect yeah and so she's like oh go ahead pick something out and and sarah sees something that catches her eye and she goes oh these gummies look good and sarah goes no 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 you can't have these and sarah not being a total idiot puts two and two together and realizes that they're edibles yeah and she goes oh my god you're a stoner my dad's dating a stoner, and, and Chrissy's like, no, 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 no. I go to Coachella every summer, and bad decisions are made. Please don't bring this up with your father. Your father doesn't need to know. And Chrissy, uh, Sarah just keeps going, my dad's dating a stoner. Oh, my God, my dad's dating a stoner. It was a funny moment, and yeah. It was hilarious. And then she realizes, wait, she said Coachella, and she goes, wait, which bands did you see? Yeah. No, it, it's, a, it's a funny scene. That, like I say, it, it shows a little bonding experience, which Lana does see from the distance, but uh, – and. She doesn't seem too happy with, but that's why she meets up with John Henry Irons Mm -hmm. because at the same time, Mateo is in town, takes Natalie out for the movie. They have their first kiss. And obviously you see sparks flying of young love. So, I mean, but ultimately that's going to be short lived as we see, as we get to the end of the episode, Yeah, because where we tie everything off here 
We see that the twins have, you know, confronted the parents about what's happened. The parents admit, okay, yeah, we've been hiding stuff from you, but you said no more secrets. Yeah, we know that we're going to show you some more secrets. Yeah, I mean, the Kent family has always had the dynamic between them. Yeah. That they're really trying to do the right thing, and sometimes it doesn't happen. But it it reflects real life a lot. Although, hey, kudos to the writers for the low blows uh, Jonathan was using on Clark. Yeah. Hope doesn't cure cancer. Fuck. Yeah. Oh, like I said, the writing of his character. There, there were some Mike Tyson uppercuts in this. Yeah. In this uh, episode from Jonathan. There was some jabs there because Jonathan is not open to hearing Clark try reasoning with him about this, and he's very committed that they they can find a way to to do this. Mm-hmm. And like I say, the the lines that John was saying. Oh fuck. Yeah. Was like, oh wow. Yeah. That's yeah. That's a low blow. But, I mean, they ultimately, you know, come to a, a resolution. Like, we're going to support Lois and, listen, she's well, not invincible. We're going to have to just stand by her side. Well, and ultimately they solve the whole why can't we use Kryptonian technology thing because Clark finally goes, listen, could it help her? Maybe. We don't know. But ultimately it's not fair for us to use that technology on her and not give it to the world to use and using Kryptonian technology in this world for everybody to use is not the safest thing. Yeah. So there is that resolution there. And then we do get a quick resolution, too, with Lana and Sarah having a bonding moment. Yep. Where Lana is, you know, accepting what's going on, but still trying to be on a good pace with Sarah, laying mm-hmm. off some fireworks with something Lana used to do as a child. Yep. And it really kind of ends the episode in a very, you know, calm fashion until we get to the the finale where Mateo is talking to Pia Mm -hmm. and we don't see him right away. But as soon as he comes in the camera shot, you now know that it's the slow reveal too. It's the slow reveal, which I I called way back when I said, because, because, because Pia and Mannheim are talking, you know, about what they're going to do and how they're going to handle things. And they hear the door open or the door close, whatever it is. And Mm -hmm. they go, Oh, hi son. And, And you just see the camera cut from the two of them to the hallway, to the, the doorway or, or door frame or whatever it is, and you just see the slow uh, reveal out of darkness that their son is Mateo. Yeah. Brilliant uh, framing. Yeah, so now they're planning on having a dinner. Because she's the one. Yeah, because she's the one. And now they're setting up where they're going to meet John Henry Irons, who in this timeline, Bruno mm-hmm. Mannheim killed. Yep. Awkward. And next week's episode is titled, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? Yeah, so <laughs> no, we're not going to wait long. We're not going to wait long. I love that they're just going to go right into this because we're almost at that mid-season break point. Right. And then we know that Lex Luthor is coming to the show. Right. And we should note uh, with the writer's strike going on that this season is filmed and done. Yes. So the writer's strike that's currently going on in Hollywood will not affect the show in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, we stand with the WGA too, by the way. Yes. So just putting that out there, Pad, to wrap this up, final thoughts on the episode. Fantastic episode. Like I said, there was not a lot of physical confrontation, but there was a lot of verbal confrontation and one of the heavier episodes, but it was a fantastic episode. Fully agree. I thought they really showcased the Mannheims and you really got a true understanding about his character. And it's always something with villains, too, when they're not pure evil. Like there's something to their motivations mm-hmm. that just translate and you can you can empathize with a little bit, unlike what they do with their actions. I thought the acting was was spot on with this. I thought the writing was very, very good dealing with Lois's situation. Jonathan Kent, I still say, is the best written character on the show. And even the Mannheims and the big reveal at the end, 
It's going to be a very, very long wait for the next episode. Like I say, six days is not going to be enough, but I can't wait to see what how it all plays out after this episode. But let us know what you think. Hit us up on that hashtag. Hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about the latest episode of Superman and Lois? We can't wait to hear about this. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Together, we can make a difference. That's been the sign-off for everything live stream for the cure related ever since the event began back in 2017. Hello, everyone. My name is Nick, and I am the host of the live stream for the cure, an annual charity event to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute for immunotherapy research for a world immune to cancer. And over the past six years, we've made that difference together. Amazing listeners, amazing viewers, amazing podcast partners and content creators all coming together, and we've raised over $70,000. But this year, we're going to make our biggest difference to date, and we're going to raise $25,000 for the Cancer Research Institute. Tune into the event at twitch.tv slash livestream for the cure starting May 18th, as we're joined again by podcast partners and content creators from around the world to help the Cancer Research Institute crush cancer together we will make a difference coming back for another segment on this edition of the odph podcast and we're staying in the arrowverse yeah and note how we worded that because there was a special episode of the flash this week and i know we haven't talked about the last season and i mean there's i've I've fallen behind i'll be i'll be honest there's yeah there's been reasons for it and I, i gotta admit for going into the final lap so mm-hmm. to speak, the Grant Gustin led show is really spitting and sputtering. Yeah, like it's it's a struggle to get to the finish line, in my opinion. I'm yeah. sorry. Like, yeah, in comparison to final seasons of previous shows, it's really just missing the mark for me. Mm-hmm. And I I'm going to be watching the last episode because obviously this show has played a very big part of my fandom for quite some time. I, at one point, it was literally the best show on the CW. Yeah. Uh, Superman Lois has taken that crown from them right now, and I don't see them letting go anytime soon. Even breaking the season three curse, which we've always said has been something with the DCCW shows. However, though, this past week was one that caught my attention. Mm-hmm. And one that, if you've been a longtime Arrowverse fan, it should have caught yours, too. Because they decided to air the preview for this episode after Superman and Lois, rather than airing a promo for the following episode. Mm -hmm. You know, so they decided to promote this episode of The Flash rather than the Superman and Lois's own promo. Yes. Which tells you how big it was. Exactly. And that is because a very special guest reappeared. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of questions surrounding that person. And we got answers to this. So, to put on record, Pat has not seen this yet. I'm like five episodes behind, five or six episodes behind, and I made a conscious effort this weekend to try and catch up, but, well, to quote Jeff Goldblum in uh, the Jurassic Park movies, life found a way. Yes, but he has allowed me to talk about this, Mm -hmm. because there is quite a few things I got to say about this episode, so... Let me give my spoiler-free statement on It's My Party and I'll Die If I Want To. It's my party and I'll die if I want to. The initial setup for this was not great. Right. And they brought back a villain that I wasn't super impressed with. Okay. But I will say, seeing the guest star appear back on this show, it was like riding a bicycle. Sure. The chemistry between Grant Gustin and that actor Mm -hmm. really, 
made me remember why I was such a big Arrowverse fan. And I thought that they played those parts very well. I thought the ending was very strong. I just thought how we got there was a little bumpy. Mm -hmm. But it makes sense by the time you get to that uh, resolution. Because once the final moments hit, like they tie up a lot that I was still questioning after that show ended. Mm -hmm. So let me put it in perspective with that. But it's well worth the watch if you are a fan of Arrow, if you're a fan of The Flash, because it it just showed me there's, pun intended, flashes of brilliance they can sprinkle in this show with only five more episodes or four more episodes left, I believe. Uh, Something like that. So that being said, let's get into spoiler talk about... The Flash with guest star Stephen Amell in three, two, one. Okay. I loved how they brought back a lot of familiar faces for this, not just Stephen Amell. Keon Lonsdale, who plays Wally West, he's back on the show. And obviously David Ramsey, who plays John Diggle, he was back on the show. So we had a lot of the familiar faces of the Arrowverse that – when it was in its glory days, really, you know, were great characters to follow. Mm-hmm. But how they start this off is there's a surprise birthday for Barry. And Wally and John are there. And Wally is like, I don't like, I didn't like how he was written because apparently he's gotten to like his spiritual side, so to speak. I've never, like for as great as the character is in the comics, although it depends on who's writing him, mm-hmm. you know, I've never liked Wally on the shows. It, like, it doesn't matter if it, what show it's on. I've never liked it. See, I didn't mind him when he debuted on the show. Yeah. Like, I thought I thought he's been fine. But, like, how he came back, he's, like, one in touch with the energies and the, and yeah. the, and the earth. Like, that's how he was the last time. Yeah, that's what I say. But it was, like, it just seemed like it was amplified. Yeah. Like, he was, like, just, like I say, it was almost like the spiritual thing. Like, he was just kind of, like, in, into the, in touch with the t- with the earth tones. And the and, crystals. Yeah, and the crystals and, and the vibes and, like, yeah. all that. Yeah. So, it was, like, he's explaining that. He's been trying to cross into other timelines, which I'm just like, <laughs> really? Uh, you haven't paid attention enough. What happens when Barry does that? Yeah. How, how does that work? Because he's because he's realized well, there's other timelines. So there's, hello, Flashpoint. There's, there's other me's, and you know what happens when you know we cross paths. And I'm just sitting there going like, oh no, we're not going down this road. Please, like, we're gonna have Flashpoint with Wally West as the yeah, catalyst. Yeah, yeah. Just because like. I, we we don't need to keep doing this for the show. It's a it's a tried and true you know writing method with the with this writing team for the Flash. Inevitably, there is a speedster who's going to run through the timeline and fuck shit up. Yes. So while everybody's having this party, we do see that everybody starts like falling unconscious because they've been drinking some of the champagne, except for Chester, who's played by Brandon McKnight. Okay. And we find out that there's one person behind all this, and that's Ramsey Rosso, the villain known as Bloodwork. Oh, yeah. Played by Sendel Rafamuthi. Okay. I apologize if I butchered the name. Uh, So we see him back. Now, when Bloodwork was here the last time, I was very vocal on the show, like, it's an interesting villain, but it's not one that can go through an entire season. Right. It's kind of like a feller. Yeah. Feller, Feller villain. Yeah. And Rama Murthy is, you know, was very good in the in the role that he was in, but the villain itself is like, right? Eh. If if we're talking comic terms, it's a it's a between arcs villain. 
Yeah. Like you're, like you're using him to set up the next arc in your comic book uh, story. Right. Because like his powers is, you know, basically he's trying to find a way for like immortality. Sure. Because he, he has a very weird genetic disease. So he's doing this. And once he takes everybody out, he's going after Barry. Mm-hmm. And he is trying to use Wally to get to him. Mm-hmm. Because what he's thinking is he can use his powers and he can take over other worlds and and create this like immortality going on with his with his powers. Because mm-hmm. like I say, they're they're kind of weird because they they remind me a little bit like Venom mm. and just like the symbiotic things. But it's it's just it's how it comes off is just weird. And like I say, he's got this grudge against Barry, and he ultimately takes over Wally. So he gets into this confrontation, and it, it almost looks like a horror film mm-hmm. where you see like. Wally's almost like, you know, f- fermenting at the mouth. So yeah, speak. yeah, yeah. His eyes are like a different color. Yeah. And they're sitting there, and he has like the standoff, and then they do the vibrating hand thing. Yeah. Into Barry. Like he's going like, like to kill him like uh, we've seen Reverse Flash do. Yeah. Yeah. So that winds up sending Barry into the afterlife. So he's dead. Okay. And it's it's like, what are we doing here? Like, Old strategy, Cotton. See how it plays out for him. Yeah. So... It's kind of crazy how this is is all playing out, and especially we have blood work is now controlling people's you know via their blood, right? And now he's getting a big plan set up because he has a a very big ally with Wally West. Mm-hmm. So the Flash is now in the afterlife, and sure enough, he runs into one Oliver Queen. Because of course, yes, because well, technically he's the Spectre, right? But since there's something, and they. I like how they explain this. Mm-hmm. If there's a a multiverse event that is too catastrophic to kind of spell it out, it allows Oliver to come back. Okay, and he doesn't need exactly to be the Spectre. Okay, which is kind of weird. Yeah, reasons. Yeah, but like I say, I allowed it because, like, they at least explained it. He's like, I can cross over due to the events that are playing out if I need to. We've only got like four more episodes. You can only have to suspend disbelief for so much longer. Right. So we see how this goes, and we see that Oliver and Barry just pick right up where they left off. Like I said, Stephen Amell and Grant Gustin had played these roles for so long. There's a bromance there, man. Exactly. And I love we went back to this because they're spelling it out. You really see about how much they missed each other, and especially like Barry didn't really have – a, a true final goodbye, like per se. Sure, he did. I've seen the photo online. I've yeah. seen the I've seen the meme. Oh yeah, the meme. <laughs> I've seen the meme. Don't don't lie to oh, me. Oh, him at the gravesite. Don't lie to me. They're they're Barry Allen. I've seen your goodbye to Oliver Queen. Yeah, you you kneeling in front of the grave with the peace sign. Yeah, so it's something that they're now, you know, like having the resolution there. Yeah, no, I get it. And you see that when Oliver is like connecting with him about like what's happened and they find a way to somehow bring Barry back to life. But this is where Oliver comes back with him. Right. So it's kind of like this really interesting play that they do with the Spectre's powers. And like I say, due to the events that are happening, he's allowed to cross over for like a limited amount of time. Sure. So it's not like he can stay back and be amongst the, the living. It's like it's like uh, Goku and Dragon Ball Z during the Majin Buu saga. Like initially he can only come back for so long. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. So it's something in that kind of you know instant that is happening. So they wind up coming back, and sure enough, Wally has opened up a portal into the multiverse. Of course he has. And you see that you know Bloodwork is ready to shoot 
his powers into the multiverse. Well, so let's he, find out what happens. So he can take over everything. So you, at this point, Yeet. yeah, we see Barry and Oliver show up, and of course, Oliver finally goes back to the party. Yeah, too beforehand, and I like that's th- going to confuse the shit out of some people. It, it was because. I know where they were going with this. Yeah. And it was a weird thing that I I forgot about at first because how it came off was so awkward. Okay. In my opinion, that for Barry's birthday, yeah. Diggle presents him with Oliver's bow. Okay. Like it was something you like you always wanted you like okay. he kind of spins it like, you know, this should be yours and we're, we're clearly emphasizing the fact that there will be no more arrowverse after this because <laughs> we're giving away the bow. Yeah. So Okay. Like it's at the party, so I, like, I get the sentimentality of it. Yeah, it's, yeah, which I mean, it makes sense too. Yeah, but like, yeah, it's, it's kind of yeah. weird how he gets it because, he, like, I was on like, okay, well, you you now telegraphed that he was coming back for this anyway. Yeah, yeah. So they do go to the battle. So I forgot to mention that he had that. Yeah, and we do see the Diggle comes down as Spartan to him. So there's this cool standoff, and like I say, this action sequence that plays out, and it's like right back to Arrow. Sure, we've got random monster thugs coming after Oliver, and he's fighting them all off at once. Why? Reasons. Reasons. Did not care, though. Like, this was just taking it back to old-school Arrow when Deathstroke's army is, like, running through the streets and Oliver's fighting every one of them off by himself. Mm-hmm. Didn't care. Didn't make sense. I'm, a, I'm in. I'm all in. So, sure enough, they wind up having this, you know, great fighting sequence. Bloodwork turns into the monster we see in the comics a lot. Mm-hmm. So, I loved how they went there with that. And then ultimately, we wind up seeing Oliver has to shoot a arrow of kind of some special form into the gateway. Because at this time, too, we see that Barry has finally broken Bloodworks' hold on at Wally. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't want to spend too much time on that because ultimately, this is all about Barry and Oliver with right. this episode, as it should be. And like I say, where they played it off well is you saw everything you liked about you know the past nine years with those two. And this is where they played up everything else. Especially they have a standoff where you see the four of them, Diggle, uh, Wally West, Barry Allen, and Oliver Queen standing off. And it's like straight up comic book mm-hmm. 101 to face off against the big villain. So like I say, they wind up you know, stopping the portal. They wind up taking out, uh, what's his name, Bloodwork. Mm-hmm. And they've actually like depowered him. Oh, okay. Because like I say, he had... Ollie had something on that arrow, if I'm not mistaken. Sure. Well, being the specter, that would make sense. Yeah. So they wind up doing this big thing where they can stop him, and they've now depowered him, too. Mm-hmm. So Oliver winds up taking him out, and like I say, it's just something that the rest of his life, Russo, you know, blood work is human. Sure. So like that's the big punishment that you can do as a specter on him. So we get the final goodbye, though, and this is where I thought this is the episode's strong suit. Okay. Like I said, this is, like the, this is the meat and potatoes of this. We do see that Oliver and Barry go out to a bar, and you do see that they have like have a resolution just about, like, you can see my future. How am I doing? Mm-hmm. And Ollie hits him, and he's like, you do know you choose your own path. And you know what you're doing and your heart is, is right. And like they it's just this emotional scene where like Barry finally has that talk with him that he never got a chance to have. Mm-hmm. And even Oliver is still bringing about Felicity and his kids. And Barry's like, yeah, you know, I, I keep tabs on them and they're doing well. You'd be so proud of them. Mm-hmm. And you start seeing Stephen Amell get so emotional in this, too, because it's like he knows like now 
like this is the final goodbye. Right, right. And it's it's just how it plays out is so emotional and it 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 just connects with you on that fandom level. Sure. That it plays like right into the the key aspects of like what you loved about the Arrowverse. Sure. And it's w- something that it just resonates as Oliver is saying his goodbyes to Barry and it's almost like the passing of the torch like you now know what I'm going to be feeling you're you're going to be feeling what I'm feeling right now in a, in a very short amount of time. And it ends with Oliver disappearing. Because mm. I know back at Star Labs, there was a whole little side story going on too. And like I said, I don't want to dwell about that because honestly, it was kind of filler, to be honest with you. Sure. But we did get those final moments. In fact, we even get the, the goodbye between Oliver and Diggle. Oh, okay. And they do address how he turned down that green rock. Right. And Oliver's saying that was the smartest move you ever did. Ooh. Essentially. Ooh. So, yeah, I thought that was kind of telling. Interesting. Like, it was, to paraphrase a little bit, like he. You would have been stuck in development hell and off TV for nine years. Yeah, like it was something there. Because you see, the, they take it back to the scene where Diggle throws the rock away. Right. And, like, Oliver says, like, yeah, you don't know what that was going to do to you. Mm-hmm. And he kind of, like, gives it a little foreshadowing, which I was like. Ooh, yeah. I, ah, we're we're not saying that was a Green Lantern ring then, right? We're saying this is something else. Like right. I, I've started like going through my DC encyclopedia. Like who could this be? Like you know, and I was just like that was interesting. But yeah. to see them have that final goodbye because I mean Oliver said he's like I can't stay, right? But I well, could, yeah, yeah, I could stay enough to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. And like I say, the scenes with him and David Ramsey were just I mean vintage. Oh sure, arrow like oh, to, sure. to the letter. So love seeing that and then even love seeing the goodbye too. Like I say, is those little moments to go into closing, because I mean that's how the episode wraps up for mm-hmm. me. That made this whole episode worthwhile. Right. And it's and it might sound a little wild to think about, but if you grew up watching the Arrowverse and understand like the, mm-hmm. the true impact that he's doing, mm-hmm. it really plays a point too. Right. And I know that this will be the final incarnation of Oliver Queen on the CW. Well, we'll see. You think? Yeah, well, reading from an article on TVLine.com in which Stephen Amell did an interview with the folks over there, uh, the article does read, quote, Stephen Amell firmly believes he still has some arrows left in his quiver. Uh, this week on the CW's The Flash, Amell, of course, reprised his role as Oliver Queen slash Spectre slash Great Arrow more than three years after the Arrowverse flagship series wrapped its eight-season, 170-episode run. Quote, Going back and doing that was really, really exciting, but also, by the end of the second night, filming those fight scenes, I was like, okay, that's enough, he told TV Line laughing. Yet when TV Line asked Amel if he now feels as if he has truly suited up for the very last time as the Emerald Archer, he was quick to say, quote, I don't think so. Any close quote. Any next round is Green Arrow, though, would have to have a more finite timetable. Quote, we had a good run on the CW in the Arrowverse, Amel noted. But the idea of 22 or 23 episodes a year, that's a very specific way to make television with act breaks and all those things. I had my I had my fill of playing Arrow in that particular medium. But the idea of going back and doing something on a limited basis or doing a movie is absolutely of interest to Amel, he said. Close quote. Well, I don't think he's wrong in what he said there. No. I really don't. I think that what he's saying is James Gunn. Call me. I'm ready. I'm available. Yeah. And, you know, and rightfully so. Like, I think this is something just to tie off the Arrowverse and the impact it's made. 
you have, we have had actors throughout this entire run, starting with Stephen Amell and even to Grant Gustin, that we thought should have made the jump to the big screen. This is the way to make that transition happen. And I, and I don't want to get into too much of a debate about the fate of the Flash role after the movie comes out. Right. Because I know that's a highly debated topic right now. It's a hot-button issue. And we've said this before, and I think that our stances are the same. They're not going to make a decision about Ezra Miller's future with the role until the movie has come and probably hit streaming. Right. At the earliest. Right. So any speculation about that, I think people just need to temper. Right. Well, and, and James Gunn is, is in the midst of writing, and we're getting off topic, but it all ties in. Mm-hmm. James Gunn is in the midst of working on Superman Legacy movie. Yeah. You know, the Superman Legacy movie. It's been reported today that he turned in his first draft for that film. So they're gonna they're in the midst of pre-production, and he's going to direct it. So this movie's going to come out. Hit streaming, hit hit DVD, hit Blu-ray, hit everything, and there will not be a decision made because he, you know, it's not Peter Safran running the ship, it's not James Gunn running the ship, it's the both of them running the ship. Mm-hmm. One's not going to make a decision without the other, right? So Safran can have his opinion and they can have discussions and whatever else, but it's ultimately going to come down to what Safran and James Gunn both think is best for the role moving forward. And they're not going to do it while in the, they're in the middle of production and all this other stuff with the Superman movie because that's a way too important project to get done to distract James Gunn with, oh, hey, I know you're in the middle of filming this giant fight scene between Superman and picking a, a villain out of my hat, sure, Metallo, yeah. or, or whatever it is. But like, hey, I know you're in the middle of filming this like one week fight scene between, you know, fight scene for a week with Superman and Mattel. But do you have 30 minutes to sit on a Zoom call while we figure out what we're going to do about the flash yeah it's not gonna happen it's not gonna happen but i think what you're seeing now especially with Stephen and mel coming back and the reaction to this episode for those that have seen it has been extremely positive and it reminds you about why these characters work so well with these actors playing them like that's where we're going with this because i think if anything this might have been like an audition so to speak about what i can still do with this role mm-hmm. and i think it also ties off the legacy he had with these characters and that's why, like I say, the moments he's in this show really stand out. Everything else, honestly, is filler. And I hate saying that about this show, but, I mean, that's my opinion. Right. Because, I'm sorry, we now have an alternate version of Caitlin Frost mm-hmm. or Caitlin Snow. Yeah. I can't remember the name, to be honest with you. I was uh, like. Yeah. It, yeah it, I, I forgot. It, yeah. It, it's like, I want to say it was almost like clone. Something It was like something. That. It was yeah. something on that level. Honestly, I forget about it. And it didn't impact me at all. Right. Like I say, the side characters, I understand they're trying to push them, but it's like almost at the same time, like we know where this show is going. Right. I mean, even where I'm I'm at with the show where they just, I just got through the episode where they did the reveal who Red Death is. You yeah. Know, the speedster Batman looking thing. You know, as soon as they said in the episode, because I, I knew the actress that plays Batwoman, you know, was going to make an appearance on the, on the show. You know, as, and as soon as they mentioned how, you know, they couldn't get a hold of her from Gotham. I'm like, I'm putting two and two together. I'm like, all right, the actress is supposed to show up in the show. The character she plays in this universe can't get a hold of, can't be, can't be reached. Okay, she's going to show up as as the villain. Mm-hmm. Okay, like it's it's so telegraphed. Yeah, that's the one problem they're doing. And, and and like say going down this final stretch, I haven't been paying attention to be honest with you. I'm sorry, like I tuned out. But this episode brought me back in because I'm like, okay, Stephen Amell is coming back, and they did say he did say like it is really Oliver, right? It was like, that's the one takeaway from this episode is if you have ever loved Arrow as a show, 
and I mean good Arrow season two, this is the kind of vibe you see because it brings it right back to him and Barry. The you know two thirds of the trinity of the CW Arrowverse. I know the Supergirl wasn't there, but you know who knows? Maybe she'll make a quick appearance before it's all said and done. Yeah, I feel like they would have announced it by now, unless they want to hold off to the finale. Like I said, yeah. that, that's the only thing. Because otherwise. This could be the finale, and I'm done, and I'm happy. Right. Like, that could, the only thing, though, is that could get expensive just because, like, even with movies, you know, like, the one I the one I can think of is, you know, everyone, when the Harry Potter films were coming out, was upset they didn't do uh, the funeral for Dumbledore. Spo- mm-hmm. Spoiler alert, but it's, you know, however many years later, Dumbledore, right. Dumbledore dies. Everyone was upset they didn't do the funeral scene, Well, because the thing a lot of people don't understand, and this is true for television, too, that when you bring back these characters or these actors or actresses that have been previously in a movie or in a TV show, you're not paying them for just one scene. They have an appearance fee yeah. for, for being on the show, and whatever it is, no matter if they're in the in the show or in the movie for an hour or mm. for half a second, they're getting their full appearance fee. Right. So, you know, with Dumbledore's funeral, there was a lot of actors and actresses that had high appearance fees. And it's one scene. It would have been for a, a blink and you miss it type of thing. Do you really want to pay all that money for a blink and you miss it type of thing? I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying Melissa Benoist is high on an appearance fee, but if they want to do like an Avengers Endgame reunion where everyone's there at the end and everyone's standing there, that might be a little too costly for the CW. It could be too costly. I, I could see her coming in for one episode, though. Yeah. Like, I, I, like, like I, would have, I would have booked this, if we're going to use wrestling terms, I would have booked this a little differently. Because I think Arrow being there, yeah, this this is great. They could have honestly just left this as a, season, as a series finale, and I, I would have been fine with it. But now we got more episodes going, and honestly, I'm I'm just not invested in what's going on. Like, I'm gonna tune into the final one because, we, it, yeah, like the Flash for me, the, just with this this season, it's not been the worst thing I've ever seen, but like, it's been better. It's not been Inhumans. <laughs> oh God, no, no, that that's that's the benchmark. Yeah, that's the benchmark right Whoa. now. We call it down the middle here, folks. But that being said. The episode is worth checking out if you are a fan of the Arrowverse. If you're not, and it's, you know, like I say, if you're a fan of the current season, be a fan. Never going to tell you not to be. If you were, even if you, from what it sounds like, even if you were a fan of like Arrow and you haven't tuned into anything else, you know, since Arrow ended or you tuned out of Arrow before the end, maybe give it a watch just to give one more send off to, for now to, yeah. to Stephen Amell as, as Oliver Queen. It's great for nostalgia. And that's why I tuned in. And that's what I'm going to say to watch this episode. If you are an Arrow fan, a Stephen Amell fan, or, you know, if you want to remember the glory days of the Arrowverse, because this does bring back a lot of those emotions and it's well worth the time if you're fully invested in that part of the DC television history. So that being said, hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What do you think about Stephen Amell's return to, to The Flash as Oliver Queen? Let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey all, I'm Frank. Join me and my friends as we talk about all things geek. Here at Geek Freaks Podcast, we go over the weekly news of everything in geekdom. From movies to TV, video games, and comic books. We also have a growing YouTube community. Join us as we go over everything in your geek life and share in the love of geekdom. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast, and it's Marvel Cinematic Universe time. Yep. As we say goodbye to a franchise that really pulled off the impossible. Yes. I got to say, as a longtime Marvel Comics fan, when I first heard that this property was going to be made into a movie, I was like, are you kidding me? How are they going to do this? 
and let alone the vision from one James Gunn brought the space traveling team to life and won over the pop culture audience that now we are saying goodbye to the Guardians of the Galaxy with Volume 3 hitting theaters this week. Yes. And the household names that have been Peter Quill, played by Chris Pratt, Gamora, played by Zoe Saldana, Drax, played by the one and only Dave Bautista, Groot, voiced by Family, otherwise known as Vin Diesel, Rocket, voiced by Bradley Cooper, and the plethora of characters who have jumped on board the ship that has sailed across the galaxy, bringing moviegoers to their feet with applause each and every time. Honestly, the drama that has been surrounding this film since James Gunn was removed from the project originally, then came back to finish off the, the trilogy, has been something that has kind of hovered over this film, and everybody has known that this is going to be the end of the franchise. Mm-hmm. So, Pad, we've talked about the trailers in the past. We do know that there is a lot of characters that are going to be debuting on here. Mm-hmm. The High Evolutionary, played by Chugwiki Awuji. Mm-hmm. I apologize if I messed the name there. Adam Warlock, played by Will Poultier, mm-hmm. are going to be making their debuts uh, in this film. And obviously, if you know who they are in the comics, it's a definite win for Cosmic Marvel to see them on screen. There's just a lot that's happening with this film that... Going in with this, I mean, what is your take on this? We've seen the trailers. Give me your vibe. What do you think of this film thus far? I mean, it's wild to think we're here at the end of the Guardians franchise because I truly don't think we'll see another Guardians film after this is done because it's so integral with James Gunn and just the writing he's done with it and and just the presentation. I'm not saying we'll never see the characters again. Some of them we won't see again because I... Listen, we ain't making it out of this movie with everyone coming out of there alive. Mm-hmm. Who, I don't know, go look at Vegas who you think is going to die. But, you know, we're not coming out of here with 100% survival rate. You know, but some of the characters who survive this, I imagine, will show up in later films, you know, like you know an Avengers movie or, or something when it warrants it. But this is going to be, you know, this is kind of like when, when the sports team has their celebration and, and their championship parade. That Like, that's the last time you'll see that group of folks together as it stands, mm-hmm. you know, this this is kind of like their championship parade. This is their, you know, they've saved the galaxy twice, arguably three times if you want to count Endgame. Yeah. You know, so this is their championship parade. This is this is the final time we'll see them together. And it's and it's kind of wild to think of where we where we came from the first movie, where me having not read the comics went, who the fuck are the Guardians of the Galaxy? Mm-hmm. Who, who the fuck is the talking raccoon? Like, what are we doing to it's a household name. Everyone knows who Groot is. There are a thousand and one Groot Funko Pops. Yep. Which I think if you go back in time and tell anyone in like the 80s that in in 30 years time, there's going to be a lot of collectible figures of the character Groot. A lot of folks are going to look at you and think you're nuts or on some sort of drug. Yeah. You know, but the fact that here we are, it's a mega franchise. It's one of the staples of Marvel. Kudos to everyone behind the scenes, because it's not just a one-man show. It's not just any of the actors or actresses. It's not just James Gunn. It's everybody involved with the film, you know, from the filming process to the editing process to the marketing process. That we're here with the third film. It's the send-off. I think we should tip our hats to them, because it's been an incredible franchise. I agree with you, too. I think the fact that we live in this day and age where we get to see comic characters on a big screen in the manner we do. And I know this might sound a little crazy to some younger <laughs> listeners, we'll say. 
But there was a time that these characters were never on the big screen. Mm-hmm. The closest anybody ever got was animation. Sure. On Saturday mornings. The fact that this property has worked so well for Marvel, and especially revitalizing their cosmic universe, because obviously everybody knows the X-Men. Yeah. Everybody knows the Avengers. Everybody knows Spider-Man. When you start asking about cosmic heroes, you might find some people that know the Silver Surfer. Sure, sure, sure. Maybe if you want to stretch the Fantastic Four. Sure. Stretch, but pun intended to. Sure. But to say the Guardians of the Galaxy, they're not a household name. They never have been. Even when they were around in the 70s, and then when you saw them revitalized by Jim Valentino in the 90s, and then the arc that I is so heavily influenced the trilogy now, and that's by Andy Lanning and uh, Dan Abnett. Mm-hmm. Their run on Guardians of the Galaxy, that is the version you see in the big screen, and they deserve all the credit in the world for just injecting life into this franchise. And if you haven't read those books, I'm telling you, do yourself a favor, get on Marvel Unlimited or go to your comic shop and go buy, go pick them up because it's well worth the deep dive into. The fact that we now live in this day and age where these books come out and even now with a brand new Guardian series that just came out, yeah, the fan base is there and exposes readers, viewers, and pop culture to a different side of Marvel that we don't get a chance to see. It's quirky, it's weird, it's different, but it stands out. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing I love about this. And James Gunn it was the perfect director for this. The first movie was a was a bona fide smash. Oh yeah, and really established th- this quirky team as you know a true player in the MCU. The sequel definitely echoed a lot of the same vibes. Even went back to some of the earlier uh, lineup of the Guardians too, which we saw you you know Martin X played by your uh, favorite there. Oh uh, yeah, Michael Rosenbaum. Yeah, uh, on that team too, and like I say, all the different characters, Charlie Twenty Seven, and you know the plethora of just history that they, they paid homage to. And now going into this final trilogy, it's been something that I just, I stand here and just go like, I'm so excited to see this movie. I have no idea what to expect. I know the only person probably safe bet to come out of this is Adam Warlock, but yeah, yeah. Pending on where they go with him. Cause if Thanos was still around, I could understand a lot more. We'd be seeing him and possibly, you know, a certain team that he rolls with. But I think just where I've seen this film, we're going to expect a lot of surprises, and it's going to be a bittersweet film that I think if anybody's going in and expecting this to be happy-go-lucky, I don't think we're going to have that. I think we're going to go across the entire range of emotions with this. Right. And like you touched upon, I think we're not going to see everybody make this out alive. But it's Marvel, so obviously people don't stay dead for long. See Jean Grey. Uh, <laughs> all i got to say there. Yeah. So it's not to say that we won't see a lot of these characters, you know, make it to the end of the film in one piece. But I think where we stand with this franchise moving forward, like this is the end of the team that we know it in. And for a lot of us, this really could be our favorite franchise. And, and this is going to be something that to see it end, you know, as, as this proverbial saying goes, cry because you were here for it, not cry because it's over. Yeah. You know, and I think that you're going to see a lot of fan reaction like this. Oh, yeah. And especially with how the trailer is, I, I know that we've, you know, we have a very good Twitter group that we talk with that everybody has been saying, like, I'm, I'm bracing myself for this. Yeah, it's probably going to get emotional. Yeah. And I think that it's, it's going to be a film that fans are going to have a definitive reaction to. And then where we see everybody after this, I think is anybody's guess. 
Mm-hmm. I, I I think that you're right. Well, we might see somebody. But they'll turn up someplace. Yeah, in some in some incarnation. Yeah, I think that maybe we'll see one or two. Like I think maybe the safest bet would be Nebula played by Karen Gillian. Yeah, I could see that because yeah. I know that she's a more recent addition to the team. Right. But I could see her character sticking around. And if they want to try doing another Guardians franchise, I yeah. could I could see, but I, I don't think they will though. I don't think so either. I don't think it's going to turn into a Fast and Furious deal where we see no. you know eleven films and no, you know, uh, it's all about family. But no, I, th- I think where it, where it comes warranted, like an Avengers movie or like a movie that where you kind of like a Captain America uh, Civil War, mm-hmm. where like that was obvious that was a Captain America movie, but let's face it, it was Avengers two point five. Yeah, you know. Where it, it warrants, we're like, hey, this is a bigger threat than just one person can handle. Hey, why don't I put a call in and, and call a friend to help me out? Mm-hmm. It's definitely going to be one of those kind of films. Like I say with this, it's just, it, you're right. Like, we'll we'll see those characters down the road. But, I, you know, one kind of incarnation is still up in the air. But like I say, for this film, this is going to be something that the fans are going to be excited about. And really give a nice, proper send-off to James Gunn, too. Because mm-hmm. obviously we touched upon... The uh, situation involving former tweets and, yeah. and all that, all which that feels bullshit. like an eon ago. It does, you know, and that's the one thing that I'm glad that a lot of places haven't been running with as like right. the story behind it. I'm glad that it's been more based on we're going to give the final tribute, and you know, Gunn is going to do great things over at DC. This franchise is going to go into a different direction. We'll probably see some of these actors wind up in the DCU. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it past them. I mean, no, even Michael Rosenbaum, who's in this, is you know said, "Hey, I wouldn't mind jumping over to DC to help Gunn over there." Oh, because he loves working with James Gunn. I could see him. I could see uh, Dave Batista. I could see uh, Zoe Solanda, uh, Saldana. Uh, I could definitely see a lot of these actors going over there, especially too. We forget when Gunn was removed from the project, how passionate they were about like we're not right. doing a sequel, we're not doing a trilogy without him. Right. I think that goes to show about how much like this whole family, you know, pun intended with Dave, with David or uh, Vin Diesel, Vin part, Diesel, but how much they they truly care about each other and want right. to see this vision get set off and set you know end this chapter and then let another one begin. So that being said, this is going to be a film that I think we're all going to be excited about. Uh, the High Evolutionary is a really interesting villain. And where he plays into the future of the Guardians is anybody's guess, but I'm expecting the wide range of emotions to send off Marvel's cosmic team and open the doors for some other characters to come down after them. I'm talking Nova. I'm just going to put that out in the, in the ether. Final thoughts on the film pad before we go see it? Excited to see it. Excited to see what happens and how it goes down, and I might have to bring some tissues. Not going to lie. Guardians of the Galaxy debuts in movie theaters on May the 4th if you're going to premiere night or may the 5th everywhere else. So hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. We gave you our thoughts about what you're expecting to see. A lot of emotion, a lot of great uh, send-offs to one of the most surprised franchises in all of comics film history. But we definitely want to hear your thoughts on this going into it. And especially if you've got a great Guardians comic story you want to talk about, hit us up and let us know. I always want to see what everybody's reading concerning the Guardians because they do have a wide variety of stuff. That being said, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, guys. It's Alan Dunford here from Top Hat Studios, co-writer and co-creator of Pocus Hocus and Grandma Chainsaw, and you guys are listening to the ODPH podcast. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, Pad. 
What you got? Got a couple things to talk about. Most of them trailers because, holy shit, it's been a real good week for trailers. Yeah, like we almost did a whole segment on trailers, but we figured we'd just save it for the end here. Yeah. Uh, so the first one we got to talk about is the one that just dropped today and probably the most highly anticipated of the bunch that dropped. And that is the trailer for Dune Part 2, which is, of course, coming this uh, this year, November 3rd, uh, you know, to theaters. And good Lord, the cast on this one, because the trailer looks incredible uh we did find out from this past week at uh cinemacon over in i think it was las vegas actually that the film is going to pick up right where the first one left off which means i need to do a rewatch because admittedly i saw it in theaters with my dad haven't gotten around to watching it because well again to quote jeff goldblum life found a way yeah uh gotta rewatch it you know and, and i enjoyed the first one well i'm not saying like oh i was blown away okay visually i was blown away mm-hmm. visually it looks spectacular the story was okay it took a little bit to get going but you know i gotta rewatch it because it's been a hot minute since i've seen the first the first one i gotta admit i did not like the first film i i legit didn't like visually impressive all day every day but the story didn't do anything for me i, I like honestly i was bored Mm-hmm. And I know, like our guys over at Three FN did a really great breakdown of it. I like for me, it just wasn't not clicking any which sure. way, shape, or form. But you know, like I say, if, that, if that's your vibe, that's your vibe. Sure. And, and you know, for for me, the the story really once you got past the world building and it actually started getting into like the main course, the meat and potatoes, it really started clicking for me. Yeah. But that was on the first watch. I with my second rewatch, you know, I'll, which I'll probably get to here in the next couple of weeks. Um. Once I get through Jurassic, the Jurassic Park and world movies, which <laughs> I've got Dominion next. Hey, yikes. Hey. yikes. Um, but no, once I get through the Dune rewatch, I'll see how I feel about it again because I enjoyed it and it was good. It was good enough that I I got the book for Christmas and, and I read the book and I enjoyed the hell out of the for, out of the first book. Um, but we'll see how this one goes. It's a stack cast. Timothy Chalamet returns along with Zendaya. Uh, but you've also got Rebecca Ferguson, Josh Brolin, Austin Butler, Florence Pugh, Dave Bautista, Christopher Walken, <laughs> uh, Stephen Mc, uh, McKinley Henderson, uh, Leah Sadu, and then Stellan Skarsgård, Charlotte Ramping, and Javier Bardem. Uh, all right, so it's another stacked cast. And like I said, as we found out, uh, it is taking place right where the first one left off. So no time passage. And also, again, directed by Del- Dennis Villanueva. Yeah, like I say, it it looks visually impressive, mm-hmm. and I, it's star studded as all can be. So, like for that aspect, yeah, you know, it's going to be something. Like I said, I just I need to see a little more from it. And like, will I probably go see it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, it's one of those films. Like, I, I'm not looking forward to go see, it, but I'll probably go see it because I love movies. Sure, but I'm just kind of going with this with like a low bar, and I'm hoping to be happily surprised. Mm-hmm. Uh, next week trailer we got to talk about is actually a TV trailer, and it is for season 16 of one of my favorite television shows on all of TV right now, and that is It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yes, folks, it's coming back for its 16th season, uh, and this season looks absolutely insane if you're a longtime Sunny fan, and I think part of that is because of the benefit that when they were writing this season, they were in the midst of doing their podcast, mm-hmm. uh, the Always Sunny, Always Sunny podcast podcast where they're it's a basically a rewatch they're talking about production and everything else with that so i think and they're only on season i want to say four or five mm-hmm. with the rewatch so they were in some of the best seasons you know rewatching while they were writing this season so there's a lot of callbacks there's a lot of old school stuff there's a certain door that has never been opened in 15 seasons that's going to get opened in this season uh we're going to get two of the biggest uh guest stars in this show's history that being uh, Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul. That's wild. Are going to be in this season, uh, which I don't want. I know what their role is going to be in the show. I don't want to spoil it because I'll, I'll just say this: if you want to find out what their role is going to be in the show, it's out there. You can you can search for it. <clears throat> mm-hmm. 
But if you don't want to know and you want to be surprised because it's an absolutely hysterical premise, highly recommend. Uh, so if you don't want to find out, wait for the episode to air uh, because the new season is dropping on June 7th on FXX and it's also going to be streaming on Hulu. Yeah, I mean, trailer looked dope. The trailer looks absolutely hysterical. Gotta say that. Uh, next movie trailer we got to talk about is uh, dropping again in, in November, another November movie. It is November 17th, and that is the spinoff slash prequel to the Hunger Games franchise. This is The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbird and, and Snakes. Uh, this one takes place decades before the original uh, franchise. They don't really have a year or, or a certain timeline to give where when it takes place, but where the original films, uh, the original Hunger Games films take place, it's the 74th and then 75th Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. This book focuses around the 10th Hunger Games, and they take place every year. So, okay. so this is, you know, 60 years prior to uh, the, the Hunger Games books with Katniss and, and PETA and all that. Uh, this, this movie looks really good. It's got Viola Davis in it, along with uh, Peter Dinklage. It's starring Tom Blythe, Rachel Zegler. Uh, and then uh, also Hunter Schaefer, Josh Andres uh, Rivera, Jason Schwartzman, and along with Viola Davis and Peter Dinklage, who I mentioned. Uh, and then the description of this is 64 years before Katniss Everdeen volunteered his tribute and decades before Cornelius Snow became the tyrannical president of Pan Am. The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, follows a young Cornelius, played by Tom Blythe, who is the last hope for his falling lineage, the once proud Snow family that has fallen from grace in a post-war capital. With his livelihood threatened, Snow is reluctantly assigned to mentor Lucy Gray Baird, played by Rachel Segler, a tribute from the impoverished District 12. But after, but after Lucy Gray's charm captivates the audience of Penem, Snow sees an opportunity to shift their fates. With everything he has worked for hanging in the balance, Snow unites with Lucy Gray to turn the odds in their favor. Battling his instincts for both good and evil, Snow sets out on a race against time to survive and reveal if he will ultimately become a songbird or a snake. Hmm. Looks really good. You know, I'm a fan of the of the Hunger Games franchise. I hadn't read the books before I saw the first one. Saw the trailer for the first one. Said, hey, that looks kind of interesting. Asked my sister if she had read the books. She said, yeah. I said, hey, you want to go see the movie? She says, yeah, why don't we go see the movie? So I went and saw the first movie with my sister. Got hooked, read the books, loved all the books. They're fantastic reads if you want to, if you're looking for something to read these days. Mm. Uh, and the and the movies are just as good, you know, with uh, with uh, Jennifer Lawrence playing Katniss Everdeen. Uh, last I knew, they were streaming on Peacock. I don't Google if you go up handy tip if you want to find where a movie streaming. You can either Google the movie name and then streaming, and it'll give you a whole list even where you can rent the movie from, or go to IMDb. IMDb will usually have where it's listed streaming as well. Mm-hmm. Definitely give that a recommendation. But uh, the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes looks real good. You know, Hunger Games is not my cup of tea. Sure. But I appreciate, you You know, like his fandom, I can respect it. It looks interesting. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like, will I go see it? Probably not because I'm just not into that fandom. Sure. But if you are, like, I think you got a lot to be excited about. Like, it looked very intriguing. But for me, I'm just, I, like I said, not my cup of Java. Sure. Uh, and then the last trailer we got to talk about is the upcoming Transformers movie, Rise Yo. of the Beasts. Holy shit, this movie looks awesome. We got DMX rolling through the entire, Rough Riders anthem rolling through the entire uh, trailer. trailer, which, fuck, give it to me. Uh, we found out when this movie is taking place. It's taking place in 1994. We also know it is in the Bumblebee movie universe, so it's not tied to the original franchise of things. Uh, we also found out who the villain of this movie is going to be. Unicron. Holy, yeah. holy fuck. They're not pulling any punches with no, this one. This, holy sh- this trailer looks awesome, and, and I'm not going to lie. This movie could be a sleeper of the summer because it's coming out June 9th, like I said. 
This could be a sleeper because I think a lot of people have fallen off with Transformers just because of the length of it and, and everything else. But hey, Michael Bay's not attached with this movie. Michael Bay's not directing this movie. So this could be good. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited. I'm going to go see it because it's Rise of the Beasts. It's uh, some, not all of the Maximals from the Beast Wars uh, cartoon in the 90s, which I grew up with and is my favorite. Listen, no disrespect to the original Transformers. I respect it and, and it has its place in history. But for me, I grew up on Beast Wars. It is my favorite franchise. So the fact I'm finally, after 25 years, getting to see them finally acknowledge Beast Wars outside of, hey, yeah, we we ran a poll and, and Dinobot from Beast Wars is like the one of the more, most popular Transformers in Transformer history. Yeah. You know, it's finally nice to see them acknowledge Beast Wars and, and give it its proper due. No, I have to agree. Like, I, I, I'm not a fan of the Michael Bay films. This looked dope. Mm-hmm. This looked really good. I'm I'm yeah. actually excited to go see this film. Right. Not gonna lie. Uh, and then last little bit, uh, bit of movie news. We got to wish a happy birthday, and that is today as we record. Uh, it is the twenty ber- first birthday of Spider Man One, starring Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst. Get out! Yeah, releasing on May third, two thousand and two. You got any memories of seeing Spider Man One in theaters? Yeah. Okay. No, legitimately, I I am not gonna lie. I was really feeling a certain way because growing up spider-man has always been my favorite hero sure always like to this day still i i don't get too much into the comic talks about it just because like for me i i have a certain feeling about spider-man especially like how the current story arc i i we'll, we'll get into when they do issue 25 because i feel like that'll, that'll just be a standalone episode when we do that okay but growing up and seeing Spider-Man finally on the big screen. Mm-hmm. And you got to remember, this is during Marvel Files for Bankruptcy. Yeah. James Cameron was attached to this thing for I don't know how many years. God, yeah, yeah, a long time. And and this was just in, like, literal limbo for years. And walking into the theater, I, I got to admit, like, I was, I was feeling very emotional about it. Like, I was just seeing my favorite hero finally on the big screen and how good that film was. Mm-hmm. Like I say, it, it's one of my favorite films, period. Even the Nickelback and Saliva song, Hero. <laughs> it's a good song. Still to this day holds up. It's a good song. You could at me all you want about it. I love that song. And they say that a hero can save us. Oh, my God. Like, yeah, just how it all plays out is just like, it's perfect. It's everything you wanted. It captured what really makes Spider-Man that hero and yeah. like th- why you the and I know I wrote about this on um the blog for Nerd Initiative about uh, National Superhero Day. Superman is the blueprint of what a superhero should be, mm-hmm. but Spider Man is what everybody connects to. Yeah, because he's everything Superman is without the powers. Yes, and that's how it's easy to connect with him, and it's easy to relate to Spider Man, and you can't help but watch him go into saving people knowing that he shouldn't even be there for most of the people he fights. Yeah. But he still doesn't care because he's still doing for the greater good. Like to see that now come onto the big screen and how it's portrayed. Toby Maguire just knocked it out of the park. William Dafoe was a creepy as hell. Norman Osborn. Oh my God. Loved his character about it. The fact we had Mary Jane instead of Gwen Stacy. That was another plus for me. Yeah. Cause you know, I'm team MJ all day. Yeah. Uh, like this was just so much of a win. And I just remember leaving the theater and just been like, yeah, I like just having that moment. Like I was alive to see this. Right. Just 
absolutely blew me away. And I like I I've, I literally went to the theaters about ten times to see it. I believe you. Uh, so I, I'm gonna date myself a little bit. I was 12 when this movie came out. Yeah, you know, so I I wasn't initially gonna go see it because I was more of a DC guy. You know, I wasn't necessarily reading the comics, but. You know, I grew up watching Batman the Animated Series, Superman, sure. the, Superman the Animated Series. Justice League was out at this point. I had seen Spider-Man, the cartoon in the 90s, and I, and I enjoyed it, but like I wasn't chomping at the bit to see the next episode. And same for X-Men. But I got invited by a friend of mine from, from grade school to go see this movie. And, you know, I was at that age. I'm 12 years old. You know, I had to ask my parents if I could go. And they're like, yeah, sure, you can go. Well, well you know who's going to pick you up all oh, his mom's so his mom my friend's mom picked me up and we went down to our local uh theater at the i can't I don't remember it wasn't amc at the time it was whoever it was before that uh went to go see the uh, i think it was lowe's, lowe's yes lowe's yes you know uh went to go see it you know and and he had the money he was paying for my ticket so i was like oh you don't have to know him you know so he paid for my ticket and and this is before reserved seating. So this was literally, for those of you who don't know, you, you didn't always used to be able to reserve your seats. Mm-hmm. You had to show up, and, and it was kind of like a luck of the draw where you were going to sit. And it was still popular. To, I don't think I saw it terribly late after it came out. I think it was within like maybe the first two weeks I went to go see it, and everyone was seeing this movie. Mm-hmm. Because you, the other thing you got to remember, too, is there it was kind of a lull with Batman movie. You know, because because the, the uh, George Clooney Batman and Robin had come out, you know, <sighs> and and that there was nothing real that had effectively killed the franchise until uh, I think maybe at this point Christopher Nolan might have been planning Batman Begins, but like it wasn't out yet. Right, right, right. You know, there was a lull with Superman movies because uh, Superman Returns wouldn't come out for another couple of years, you know, and so there was really no. Outside of like Blade and stuff like that, which hi, I'm 12 years old. My parents aren't going to let me go see Blade in theaters, yeah. you know, for reasons. Uh, but there was kind of a lull in superhero movies, so I went to go see it with my friend. He paid for my ticket, and he was goes, "Oh, let's sit front row." And I go, "I don't want to sit front row. I'm going to be looking up the entire time." No, no, it's all part of the fun. Let's go sit front row. I sat front row in a large theater in the left front left corner. So not only am I looking, craning my neck up the entire time, but I'm looking to the right. Mm-hmm. Didn't matter. Love the movie. Fantastic. We agree with everything you said. You know, Tobey Maguire is fantastic in it. You know, Willem Dafoe is, is amazing in it. Every, all the actors and actresses are crushed their roles in the movie. You even got one of the greatest performances in, in movie history with, oh, yeah. Yes. Macho Man Randy Savage. Rest in peace to the legend. Yes. You know, I, I'm, I got you for three. It's playtime. I got you for three whole minutes. Yeah. You know, Randy Savage so good in it. You know, but then I remember uh, this sticks out in my memory. 21 years later where it's the end of the movie and it's the funeral scene for Norman Osborn and, mm. and, and uh, you know, MJ tries reconciling with Peter and, and tries to, they try getting together, but he can't do it. And there's the monologue, yeah. you know, at the end of the movie. And I just remember with, it's the end of the monologue and he goes, who am I? And who am I? And some dude about six or seven rows behind me just yells out, Batman. <laughs> And the entire theater cracked up laughing, you know, but one of love seeing the movie made sure my parents got it for me for my birthday when it came out on DVD all those months later, but happy birthday, Spider-Man. And honestly, the movie that kind of kicked off the modern genre of superhero movies. Facts. Yeah, absolutely. Switching over to some uh, streaming news, uh, dropping tomorrow as we record. It is the second season of Star Wars Visions. Uh, this is the kind of spinoff. Not canon. You don't got to worry about where it fits in the timeline. One shots uh, for Star Wars done by a whole bunch of different 
animation studios. The, the last season was all Japanese animation studios. There will still be some Japanese animation studios with this season, but this time they're including other stu- animation studios. I know the studio that works on the Wallace and Gromit uh, movies is working on one from over in the UK. Uh, this one, though, is nine episodes, uh, all, all dropping on tomorrow, May the 4th, which, of course, is Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you. Yes. Uh, so definitely going to be something to check out if you're looking for streaming because it's it's going to be like last season. It's not going to be, you know, half hour, 45 minutes to an hour. It's going to be short. You know, mm-hmm. the longest might be close to a half hour, but nothing super, super long. So it's going to be something awesome to see. Yeah, definitely excited to talk about that. In fact, that will be the lead segment. Uh, well, I would say it would be the lead segment next week, but that'll be Guardians. So right. that'll be in the mix next right. week. So we'll definitely have something to say about that. And then last thing, I got a, a podcast I got to plug because, I, as I've said before, one of my favorite rewatch podcasts has been Talkville, which is the Smallville rewatch podcast with Michael Rosenbaum, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael Rosenbaum and Tom Welling, who, of course, played Lex Luthor and uh, Clark Kent, respectively. Yep. They're up into season two, and they're up into season episode. 17 this week specifically one of the most important episodes in smallville history why do i say that because it featured the greatest uh guest appearance in smallville history christopher reeve yeah it it is the episode titled rosetta which featured christopher reeve appearing on the show as dr virgil swan uh, so the, this episode, the episode this week just dropped on wherever you get podcasts and it features the showrunners, uh, Alf, Al Goff and Miles Millar, who took time out of their, they're the ones, uh, running the Wednesday series on Netflix. Mm-hmm. They took time out of writing that and getting that going to appear on the episode to talk about this, uh, this seminal episode, which I'm looking on IMDb out of 1,557 votes. It has a 9.1 out of 10. Damn. It is a fantastic episode. So if you have not seen it. You or heard it or, or hurt or heard yeah. it, you know, with the episode on, on Smallville, though, if you haven't seen it, you don't need to know anything going into it. Just watch the episode. It's available on Hulu mm-hmm. and then go listen to the episode because I am super amped up for this because I'm rewatching through the series with my girlfriend, Liz Bailey, because she's never seen it. She likes it. We watch Wednesday and then we watch it. I'm like, hey, these are the guys who worked on Wednesday. And she's like, oh, I'm into this. I have deliberately been avoiding telling her he is in this episode because I'm like, there is a major episode coming up this because we're into season two. I'm like, there's a major, major, major guest appearance coming. And I don't want to tell you who it is because it's going to blow your mind. Yeah. Because I remember seeing the pre the preview the week because it aired, uh, aired on February 25th, 2003. So the week prior, you know, you get to the end of the episode and then they do the promo for next week. And they're like appearing next week on Smallville, Christopher. And then they show him and I'm like, holy, sh- holy shit. Like that's Christopher Reeve. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they got him on the episode, it's an awesome episode. So highly recommend you watch the episode and then go listen to the podcast. Podcast is incredible. Yeah, no, it's a, I've caught it a couple times. Like I like it for what it is. Yeah. Now to close out this episode, there's a very big date this week. And no, it's yeah. not May the 4th. And this is the May. And just, you know, happy celebrating to every Star Wars fan out there. This Saturday is free comic book day. One of the greatest days of the year because, Pad, why? Uh, you go to your local comic book shop, uh, and if you're not sure where if your local comic book shop is that is handing out free comics, you go to freecomicbookday.com. You can find out uh, one near you, uh, and that is because when you go down there, there are, of course, going to be running all sorts of deals and, and specials going on, but you go there, you get comic books for free. Yeah, it is literally the best time to go and get yourself familiar with a new series Go check out a lot of previews that are coming out. There is so many books that are dropping for free that you can get hooked on a brand new series. I know Marvel is going super heavy with theirs, as they usually do. 
and there is going to be literally something for everybody. DC's going heavy. Yeah. Boom Studios has got a couple lined up that you really got to keep your eye on. Valiant's got a book out there too. There is just so many that if you're a comic book fan, like you can't go wrong with what you pick. No. At all. I know, like I say, for me, the Marvel ones are jumping out. I know the Uncanny Avengers, the X-Men, uh, of X-Men crossover book is coming out. That's one to keep an eye on. They're doing one for the Marvel or Spider-Man 2 video game. Right. It's a prequel. That's absolutely crazy. They're doing DC is doing one about the Night Terrors uh, ser- you know, crossover that's happening and coming out too. Boom Studios has got a, one with the Ranger Academy. Like, there's a lot of books coming out, Pat. Is anyone jumping out to you as well? Uh, the, the Spider-Man one, just because the video game one, just because I know that's a highly anticipated uh, sequel everyone's looking forward to, and, and I know people are chomping at the bit to, to play it. So the fact that we're going to get some sort of tie-in prequel because, you know, we did get the first game, and then we got the Miles Morales game, mm-hmm. you know, but the fact that we're getting a little tie-in prequel game, something tells me if they're, if they're doing, you know, because the story's done by the folks at Insomniac, but the fact that they're doing this and it feels like they're getting Insomniac's okay to do this, this is going to be required reading for going into playing the upcoming Spider-Man uh, video game. Yeah, absolutely. Like, for me... Like I said, the Marvel stuff is jumping out. All the DC stuff is jumping out. Boom Studios, I can't stress enough. Like, they've got some really cool stuff lining up. And especially, uh, I know something that Pat is on his radar, uh, the Umbrella Academy, Witcher. Yeah, the Umbrella Academy slash Witcher. That's going to be wild. Yeah, from Dark Horse Comics. Like, just to kind of wrap it up, I mean, there's so much that is there to go. And you're celebrating your fandoms. You're celebrating... The medium that, listen, provides the shows that we've talked about on here on, on numerous occasions. It's provided the the medium that has given us the movies that we're going to see, like Guardians of the Galaxy. Like I say, it's a big deal for that aspect, too. Like I say, there's so much going on. I mean, definitely we'll shout out our local com- or comic shops here, Fat Cat Books, and Sound Go Round, which, I mean, Sound Go Round always goes heavy, heavy on uh free comic book day there's gonna be cosplayers there and i'm not gonna lie you can go to uh song around on facebook if you don't believe me there is going to be somebody cosplaying as mecha godzilla yeah which i gotta admit kudos to whoever that is because that costume is impressive as all hell yeah no it absolutely is wild to see and especially too it's like they have deals on getting comics. Like I say, just even for sound around, like we'll give them some extra plug. I know people down there listen to us too. So you can shout us out anytime you're doing some Facebook videos too. Uh, their back issues are buy one, get one free. Like I say, on, on certain ones. Yeah. So like, why would you not want to go there? Plus, like I say, they're going to be having some cosplay action going on. And that's just one spot with, you know, here locally. Yeah. Wherever you're at, this is the time to go find a comic shop, go support it. And really, like, go pick up some books. You're going to have free ones you're going to read about, and then you're going to be, like, excited when you see those issues drop. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the best thing about Free Comic Book Day is you celebrate your fandom. You can go out. You can find about some projects that are coming out in the future. Like I say, the Mech Cadets, uh, that's another one from Boom Studios. I definitely want to plug there. And there's such a wide variety. It's for all ages, too. So you can literally go there and find something for everybody. Yeah, and I mean, especially if you got kids. Yeah. You know, if you got kids, but you can't spend all the money on comic books, bring them down there, literally, free. You can walk in there, pick up the comics, and leave. And and trust me, take this from me as somebody whose parents didn't necessarily have a lot of money and couldn't always go to the comic shops to pick up the latest issues of Superman, Batman, you know, whatever. Like, I was, I was reading the Superman Red, Superman Blue in, like, 2002 mm-hmm. because I got it on a discount at a bookstore on vacation. 
But my parents took me one year to Fat Cat Books here locally for a free comic book day because they heard about it on the news. And it was one of the best Saturdays of my life. Yeah. Because I got to go there and I got to pick up free comic books that I read until they were falling apart. You know, take your kids. If you got a niece or nephew, obviously get permission from their parents first. Mm-hmm. Take Offer to take them down to free comic book day. And, and hey, there's nothing attached. I don't got to buy anything. It's all free. Yeah. You know, because I promise you. If your kid is into any of these characters or into superheroes or or superhero movies, this is going to be a big day for them. Absolutely. Like, we can't stress enough. Like, they'll have free comics set out. They're going to have deals on other ones, too. This is something to go celebrate the medium, celebrate the fandom, go cosplay, go have fun. And definitely hit us up on that hashtag and let us know what you're doing locally. Like, what your shop's doing. Shout it out on Twitter. Like, shout it out on social media. Make this the event it's supposed to be because this is literally a gateway to get more fans into the medium. That means more people are checking out books. This means more people are possibly going to have some stuff go translate to movies and TV. This is a win-win for everybody involved. Mm-hmm. Can't stress enough. So we definitely want to shout out our local shops in town. They're going to be doing big events. Like I say, Sound Around has always been very kind to us here at the ODPH, so we definitely want to shout them out. And like I say, I'll even shout out Fat Cat Books too. Like I say, this is the place, just wherever you're at locally, go support it. Comicbooklocator.com, I believe, is the official website if you need to go find one in your area. So definitely make a point to go do that. All right, so taking us out with some comic picks. Pad, what you got lined up? First one we got to talk about is Batman issue number 135, although as the legacy number is, legacy number 900. How crazy. I know, it's nuts. Uh, but this one written by Chip Zdarsky. Uh, description of this is, it quote, it's Batman versus Red Mask in a brutal Gotham that's never known hope. Can the Dark Knight overcome the terrifying infection that Red Mask has unleashed? Only one thing is certain, he won't be able to do it alone. The conclusion to the best-selling The Batman of Gotham is so big it can only be contained in an oversized number 900 anniversary issue featuring the return of fan-favorite artist Jorge Jimenez and a wild collection of guest stars full of wild revelations and a new path for Batman. This is one issue you won't want to miss, close quote. Uh, and that's a fact. I don't want to go into spoilers because I saw something on Reddit, and I'm not mad I saw it. This kind of convinced me to, to mention this and, and pick it up this week. Otherwise, I would have completely missed it. There's a certain someone appearing in this issue that you might not see coming that if you've played a certain video game, you might be a little familiar with, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you've uh, played a certain Rocksteady video game uh, on the... <laughs> You know, a certain Arkham video game. Excuse me. I'm going to leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, So definitely going to want to check that one out. Uh, Also from the folks over at DC, Adventures of Superman, John Kent, issue number three from Tom Taylor. Uh, Quote, John Kent arrives on Earth on an Earth he's never seen. The world of injustice. While uh, Cal Al rules this uh, this world in seeming peace, why does everyone John meets fear the S symbol on his chest? And why is Batman public enemy number one? John has to pick a side, and the consequences make either choice in a dangerous one. And of course, it does feature uh, on the cover a John Kent in the middle of a Batman of Batman and Superman fighting. So this one's gonna be all sorts of wild. Cannot wait to read that one. Uh, and then from the folks over at Marvel, and we've got three Star Wars issues because, of course, it's Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, you got Star Wars Darth Vader issue number 33 from Greg Pak. Uh, this one reads Unbound Force Part 1. When the Dark Lord of the Sith loses control of the Force, nothing is safe. Not even his own executor class Star, Dest- Star Dreadnought. But in the face of total destruction, Commander, uh, Commander Sabe finds an opportunity. Does Vader's un. 
untrammeled onslaught expose a vulnerability? Or is it just another doorway to the terrifying tyranny of the Sith? Cover, this one is wild because, uh, folks, I'm showing Ken. That is Padme Amidala holding a blaster and Vader's helmet. That's freaking wild. Yeah, this is this is going to be all sorts of crazy. Cannot wait to read that. Uh, you've also got Star Wars issue number 34. Uh, folks, it's from Charles Soule. Need I say more? No. I will. <laughs> uh, the Broken Saber of Skywalker. Luke Skywalker searches for one of the rare substances in the galaxy, Kyber. The living crystal that powers lightsabers. Does it hold the answer to an unpredictable thing the Force has become? See Hidden Empire issue number five. What long lost secret is he about to uncover? Uh, So super excited to read that because, hey, it's Charles Soule. Uh, And last and certainly not least, Star Wars Yoda issue number seven. This one from Mark Guggenheim. Uh, This one reads, quote, Yoda versus General Grievous to the death. Uh, The start of a new arc set in the tumultuous Clone Wars. The Separatists have a powerful new weapon that can change the course of the war. Can Yoda and Anakin Skywalker discover the secret of the weapon in time? Uh, So this is going to be super interesting because in every iteration of the Clone Wars, including the micro shorts, uh, micro shorts from uh, 2003 and 2004 up to when Revenge of the Sith came out. Mm hmm. Uh, and then in the Clone Wars animated series, and as far as I know, Yoda and Grievous never met. Yeah. They never fought. Now, now it might have happened in a book or something or a comic I might not have read. But as far as I know, they've never met and they've never fought. So this is a matchup I am very interested to see. I'm very excited to see yeah. this play out. So yeah. definitely got to keep that on my radar. Uh, so for my picks, uh, DC Comics, Shazam, Mark Wade, Dan Mora. Oh, boy. That's all I need to say. Like, literally, that should be reason enough to go buy this book. So, you get my money this week, DC. Hands down for that. I've been super excited to check this book out. So, definitely making the rounds at the comic shop to go pick that up. Uh, Now, switching gears to Marvel, but not Marvel Comics, Pad. Uh Uh-huh. Marvel Press. Ooh. So, there was a book that got dropped this uh, week that I definitely want to recommend. I was sent an early advanced preview copy by Alex Segura. Oh, who okay. you know we've mentioned on the show for doing such uh, books as The Black Ghost, uh, Blood Oath for Comicsology Originals, has a great novel out that I've got to go pick up called Secret Identity. Uh, he wrote a book featuring two prominent characters of the Spider-Verse, oh. Aranya and Spider-Man 2099, entitled Dark Tomorrow. So this is a short. This is an actual book, so this is not a comic. The story is absolutely great. They, he does a fantastic job about illustrating to new readers who these characters are, brings them together in a very unique way, and really sets them on a time-splitting journey that is one that you definitely want to check out, especially if you're excited to go see Across the Spider-Verse coming out in theaters, which is, Pat, how this is going to be the longest animated film of all time? Two hours and 20 minutes. Yeah, so if you want to get a little hype up for this, this is a great companion piece. That will just get you excited to see Spider-Man 2099 on the big screen because we have seen enough trailers. We know Miguel O'Hara is in this movie. Uh-huh. So go go definitely check this book out. Like I say, it's it's not a comic, but it's an actual uh, novel. So it's well worth the time. It's a very quick read, um, but it's well worth picking up at your bookstores and comic shops because I'm sure they're carrying them as well to get a little, uh, a little extra incentive for the Spider-Verse dropping. From Comixology Originals, Gremiton Punch, number three, Miles Gunter, Brian Enden. And the team over there is really putting this whole uh, interesting ghost story into some more drama. Because, Pat, 
not only do you have a young man that's trying to fight ghosts and figure out, okay, why are they all siphoning the energy off people? Mm-hmm. He's now in high school. Oh, shit. So much more drama can you add to him? Uh, it's high school a lot. Yeah. So this book has been a fun read. And actually, I was uh, challenged to start putting some ratings on these for people. So me, I really enjoy this story just because of the interesting take it is. Because it's not, you know, a normal story by any means. The art is definitely out out there in the sense like it catches a lot of, you know, energetic vibes to it. And the writing is on point. And like I say, it takes the character into some very interesting realms. They and they really focus on his time in high school for this one because they did a time jump from the last issue. Mm-hmm. So it's been a fun read. I definitely give it an eight out of ten uh, on the on the official parlay scale. I guess it's been one that, like I say, it's an interesting story. It's building up for something heading into the final two issues because it's a five issue series, mm-hmm. and it's one that, like, if you want to give something a, a shot, this might be up your alley because, like I say, it's a different kind of book. And it's not your typical ghost story by any means, but I definitely highly recommend it on Comixology Originals. Next up, Boom Studios, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, number 5. The conclusion of the epic crossover sequel by Ryan Parrott and Dan Mora. Need I say more, Pat? Uh, No. But the series definitely ends on a strong note. There are so many moments in this book that fans are going to be excited to talk about. The preview art alone, which it, Boom Studios was gracious enough to let us uh, preview, dude. This is just Dan Mora at his finest. Like I'm oh, just gonna show Pad. That's very nice. Like we have this. Yeah, we have this. Very nice. And then this. Oh Jesus! Why is Shredder green? Reasons. Reasons, folks, and that's why you need to pick up the issue and find out for yourself. It's an absolute amazing end to the series. The whole series has been on point. And it definitely is not easy juggling the fandoms, but Ryan Parrott pulls it off like nobody else. And like I say, one of the best writers in comics, bar none. And then you pair him up with the hottest artist in comics with Dan Mora. Like, you have nothing but absolute gold. Uh, 9.7 out of 10 for me. I really thought this issue was a phenomenal way to close up everything. Or as Dan from or uh, Tom from Off the Cuff Gaming would say, uh, it's more phenomenal. And then last but not least, uh, my highest recommendation of the week, a 10 out of 10 across the board Radiant Black number 24. Kyle Higgins, Marcelo Costa, and the team over at Black Market Narrative. Holy, you want to talk about a game changer? We often forget as fans about how loaded this lineup is over at the Massiverse. Yeah. Supermassive 2 final order cutoff was this past Monday. So that issue is dropping May 24th. The Catalyst War is coming out of that as well. And what they do with this issue, I'm not going to talk spoilers on here, but let me just say this. If you're a Radiant Black fan, this is an issue you can't miss. What happens in this issue, let's just say existence is broken. And I'm going to leave it at that because I don't want to ruin this for anybody. But trust me when I say this, the whole series is on, this whole issue is on point and pad. This is just the preview art. Oh, very nice. Yeah, so to say the least, this is one Massiverse fans are going to be talking a lot about for a while, and especially this is going to be the final send-off until we go into Supermassive 2. Image Comics is doing big things with this line, and I you know, would say we're going to be covering it a little more in-depthly coming up in the next few weeks. Uh, there's a couple projects we're working on, so I can't say them publicly right now, but uh, stay tuned, dot, dot, dot. And as always, and can't stress it enough, especially Saturday, Make sure to go out to support your local comic shops wherever you're at around the world. People are putting in a lot of hard work, so definitely pay them back in tenfold by picking up some great stories and hyping it up on social media. 
That being said, that is it for the ODPH this week. For anything and everything that we do, it's simple. ODPHpodcast.com. For the one and only Padawan J. Thank you. Thank you. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time.